That's right. Welcome in. Welcome back, folks, to a Notre Dame football roundtable edition episode of the Always Irish Show featuring friends of the program, the Golden Homers podcast. Obviously, if you haven't yet, hit subscribe. Appreciate it very much. Give the video a thumbs up. That helps as well notifications on you be alerted every time a new episode drops you don't want to miss it twitter search bar always irish rat always irish inc emails always irish at gmail.com audio only anywhere you want me you could get me call in line 312-988-15 tell johnny all you've heard and seen about the irish next call in show coming up this weekend probably more information on that shortly. Fighting Irish Wire, make it a part of your daily Notre Dame Google routine. Read everything every day, folks. So without further ado, let's bring on our guests. They are at Nathan underscore Erbach and Mason Plummer underscore. I got to make sure I get your underscores right. <laughs> you got one is in the middle, one's after. Make sure you follow these guys. Anywhere you get your podcast, they're available. They do really hard, good work. A lot of time and detail put into it. I recommend it to all of my viewers. And if I didn't, they wouldn't be guests on this show. Welcome in, guys. What's going on? What's up, John? Hey, man. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Excited to, well, I should say I was excited to talk about recruiting, but uh, 24-7 dropped a bomb on us just before we hit record. So eager to talk about that, I guess. Yeah, it it seems like we all saw that the last like five minutes before I got on, I wanted to check on some things and, and I saw that we're going to get into it. You know, here's what I find really interesting, you guys, it college football now seems like it's at a point where there really is no true off season. It's it's just a change in what's going on, but there is a lot going on. It goes from the games to then portal, NIL, recruiting, all that stuff. We're now in a weird period where it feels like the 23 classes are kind of overlapping with 24. Some of that's still out there. So there's a lot going on and, and there's a lot to discuss even in the off season. I wanted to bring you guys in. You haven't been back on in a while. We're, we're all busy. The season, everybody's, you know, got their content they're doing. I just think it's healthy to bring in some other perspectives I have some questions I want to throw at you guys and just see what you think and and see where we're at here. I'm sure we agree on a lot of stuff. See if there's some stuff we disagree on. Um, first things first, we're going to get to 23, but more immediately, what do you make of 24 so far? I know that Notre Dame had a junior day. They had a bunch of people in. We're getting a bunch of crystal balls. What what is your early look at twenty four, um, Mason? What do you think? A lot to be excited about, and I think the quarterback has a lot to do with that. I mean, I think the staff can recruit really well, but having the crown jewel of the class as your quarterback, a certified five star dude, helps that out a lot. So uh, there's a lot of needs in this class. There's a lot of room for Notre Dame to get better, but having your main recruiter, at least on the offensive side for now, as CJ Carr, and then hopefully you bring over a five star guy, the name in question. Justin Scott here in the next couple of weeks, depending on when he puts his announcement as the guy that wants to recruit the defensive side. I mean, that's about as good as it gets. So a lot of big fish out there for Notre Dame to go get, but a lot of that has to be backed by the performance on the field, as we've seen. So uh, you have to imagine if the team played a little bit better and didn't lose games like Marshall and Stanford, that maybe they do have a five-star in the fold this year. So it has to be backed up by performance on the field. 
Uh, you, one thing you can say about this staff is they're never going to stop on the recruiting trail. You don't have to worry about that as you did with past staffs over the past 10 or 15, even 20 years. So the effort's always going to be there. Can they back it up on the field? I guess we're going to find out. What do you think, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing for me is if you look at just the 23 class and then also the 24 class, you kind of combine the two. You know, obviously the 23 class is dumb, but the 24 class only has seven players or whatever it is. I think the 24 class has the two best players out of both cycles and Cam Williams and CJ Carr. Um, CJ Carr is, I think, like, and I'm using quotations here, It's he's kind of the crown jewel of that class. But in all reality, I think Cam Williams is much closer to being like a top 15 player um, and might end up being the crown jewel of this class when it's all said and done. So from that perspective, obviously you got to hold on to the guys. I mean, I know that's something we're going to talk to, I talk, you know, get into. I, I don't think that either guy is going to flip. If you would ask me around this time last year, I would have said the same thing about Keon Keeley, though. Um, you know, maybe not Peyton Bowen. He always kind of had that drama um, with, with Oklahoma and stuff there. But, yeah, that to me, that's what really sticks out is I think you really have two elite players in that class. And then the other five are all, you know, your typical really solid Notre Dame guys that um, – and, and then, you know, we look beyond some of the targets and the offers that they have. I think it could be a really special class. And like Mason pointed out, it's part of that is, is because you have someone like C.J. Carr and Cam Williams uh, recruiting for you at a high level. Yeah, and I do think that helps. And I think it helps more when it's a quarterback. And maybe that's just me, but I like the quarterback is the default captain of your team, biggest impact, like, I just like that dynamic. You know, Blake Fisher doing it as a lineman. I love that too. He was all over. It hits different when it's a quarterback. And here's the other part. When you got your quarterback doing that, it's kind of extra comfort of like, he isn't weighing his options. He's all ND. Because if a guy was wondering, you're not going to be out there recruiting other guys. If you're going, I don't know if I'm going to end up here or not, but it's good for now. So for me, that gives me a little comfort in, in that area. So as we look at 24, what do you see are the biggest needs and the biggest targets of this group? Yes. Either one of you. Yeah, for me, I think it has to be defensive line. And Nathan and I are kind of joking that they could they could take a dozen defensive linemen and be just fine. They won't yep. actually, but yep. – um, Definitely several, you know, seven or eight, maybe even. So, um, in defensive line is need needs revamped in a big way, and a lot of that's put it because they've been putting guys into the league. So, and a couple misses, a couple a couple hits, but some misses at a spot where you need to be getting dudes. I would I was gonna say just to your point earlier, John, about the quarterback being such a huge position in terms of recruiting. I mean, and, and no matter what level, it's the most important position in football next to uh, the defensive line, especially the edge rusher. So. Can continue to recruit those positions really well? So you have quarterback knocked out. You have, like Nathan mentioned, a stud receiver in Cam Williams. And Nathan, I say he would. Did I hear you say he would be your number one in the twenty-three class if you were to be in the twenty-three class? I think Cam Williams and C.J. Carr would both be like one and two. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Right now, I'd probably have Carr first just because of positional value and stuff. But wouldn't surprise me, man, if Cam Williams is the best player in this class when it's all said and done. But, yeah, John, to wrap up my thoughts here, defensive line has to be a big hit. I, I feel comfortable just about everywhere else. Um, skill position can always get an upgrade. like another stud tight end to be the next dude. But defensive line, just give me some guys there. And here's what I like about this staff that gives me some comfort is, you know, last year there was no secret wide receiver and the quarterback room talent overall, all of us, fans, media, everybody, we all knew those areas needed to be upgraded overall. 
and they were. The, the staff aggressively went out of their way to address those needs. And I think we all feel much better in even just one calendar year of how we sit moving forward in both the quarterback room and the wide receiver room. That is music to my ears to be able to identify a problem and then see the staff aggressively work to figure it out. And then we ended up where you started thinking, all right, eh, we're a little light on the defensive front here. And then boom, you see that they're hammering it. It just feels really good to see how quickly they react to these needs. And it just makes me feel good to know they see what we see. A lot of times with Kelly, we I'd have complaints and they never I never saw anything look like it was getting addressed to change it or anything. I feel like these guys are very quick to see what we see and shore areas up. God, that gives me a lot of confidence. But I agree with you. I was going to ask you guys your biggest positional priority, and that would be mine as well. Notre Dame can end up in a position where the offense starts to get where we want it, and then the defense tapers back off. I can't live with that. You know what? On the defense, this isn't even on my notes, but I'm bringing it up. I don't care. One of you guys explained to me how Notre Dame ended up second to last in the entire country in red zone touchdown defense rate. How is that even possible that Notre Dame ended up 131st in allowing touchdowns in the red zone? It doesn't seem right to me, does it? I think when it came to some of Al Golden's play calls, he got a little cute down there, like with the blitzes all the time with his linebackers, the some of the stuff with the safeties were like, I, like we the Ohio State one really sticks out where they blitzed. Well, who was the DJ Brown or whatever? And then they left Jaden Mickey on an island with like literally the play after Tariq Bracey went down when you know he was arguably your best defender this year. So, I mean, I, th I think that had to do with it. I mean, the one thing I always kind of throw out there when it comes to the red zone defense is that they were also one of the better teams in preventing teams from getting into the red zone. So that sort of helped kind of even it out a little bit, but yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. You can't, you can't rely on your defense. It, you know, you know, especially next year when you play USC with Caleb Williams, you're playing Ohio state, you know, that they're going to be a good offensive team. Clemson should be better offensively next year. You're going to play some yeah. better programs from an offensive standpoint. Those teams are going to get in the red zone and you need, you need to do a better job. And I, and I think, you know, I, there's not really an excuse, but I'm hoping that, you know, year two under Al Golden kind of gets, you know, his maybe gets more of his playbook involved. Some of more of the guys that he wants in the program in there can run more of his scheme. You know, hopefully it gets better from there. Yeah, I don't really have a ton to add other than, yeah, I was going to point out the stat that Notre Dame was, did a very good job of not letting teams in the red zone. But once they got there, they were scoring touchdowns. So yeah, it's that, like, once you're in, here you go. Like, well, <laughs> you, well, you made it. I, I just – it, it, the defense, it wasn't bad enough to warrant those numbers. It just looked mismatched to me. Anyways, I don't, I don't want to get off topic. Let, let me, what, I did a live stream yesterday morning, and there was mixed reaction to the news that Scott is kind of calling timeout on an early verbal commitment and backing away from that. And half the people on my, ch my chat stream Thought that was good news. Let a guy figure it out, take his visits, do all that. Like, like go ahead and do all that. And then the other apps going, you know, now you just lost the guy to Georgia and it's the same old story. Notre Dame can't compete with the big boys. Forget it. And we suck. And the Chicago pipeline is dead still. Like all of that. What do you make of that? Like, what's the reality here? Because you don't want to end up 
Would you rather end up like this or with a guy who commits to you and you think you're going to have him in the 11th minute he changes his? I would almost rather a guy doesn't verbally commit if he knows he isn't ready. Um, Nathan, what do you make of that dynamic? What should we take from it? Yeah, it sounds like a cop-out, but I don't really think it's good or bad right now. I mean, if, I'm going to plug our podcast here for a second. That's not I popular. That's not a popular opinion. You know that, <laughs> right in the middle. I, I, well, I mentioned, I think, it, I don't know if it was last podcast of ours or the or the one right before that, but one of the things I mentioned was Scott, and I think actually it was two podcasts ago because me and Mason were talking about how it was still up in the air if he was going to commit on the 31st. And one of my main points was if he doesn't commit on the 31st, it sucks because you want the kid committed. Absolutely. Like the, it, your, your chance of signing a kid goes up astronomically if they are commit in your class. And I know people are going to point to some other guys, but the math, the math checks out when kids commit to your program, specifically a, like a blue blood top tier program, like Notre Dame is most kids don't flip unless they're getting pushed out of the class for a certain reason, or they are going to a higher level. And in Notre Dame's case, they're not typically going to a higher level. We've seen that. Sure. Um, but but the good news it was with that kind of thing with with this kind of situation like how you mentioned with Scott is if he does let's just say he holds off he holds off until April and then decides to commit to Notre Dame he saw Georgia he saw Florida some of these other schools that have been offering him he gets an opportunity to really say you know what I want to stay closer to home Notre Dame is where I want to be if he sign and he does all that gets to go on those visits and ends up at Notre Dame still then you're more it's going to go up even more than if he commits in January and has some sort of you know buyer's remorse almost and wants to check out those programs and Notre Dame's been honest with him about that and I think that's why he's holding off um with that said and I know Tom Loy sort of talked about this today and, I, and I'm okay I feel like I'm okay saying this if he visits this weekend like he's supposed to and the snow doesn't and it's not a big deal and he you know and he says I, I'm gonna I'm gonna shut it down and that's what I want to do then kudos to the staff for making him, first of all, getting him to campus. And then second of all, making him feel like, hey, like you have to, you should do this now versus having to go check out some of these other programs. So that's why I say it's good and bad because it could end up very bad for Notre Dame. He yeah. checks out these schools, he goes somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but I, but like you said, I'd rather have the kid not committed, not a silent commit, whatever. I don't want a sniff of a commitment right. until he's ready. And then you feel like that's the last decision the kid's going to make from that kind of standpoint. Cause see, see your partner here a long time ago, me and your partner talked and he was <laughs> telling me, John, these verbals, you, you're an old head. You got to back off these verbals. They don't mean what they meant 20 years ago when sure. you were 20. And, and Mason told me that and he goes, John, you got to get it through your head, man. It, it is kind of naming a clubhouse leader at that time. And, and, and it isn't how it was like you used to just lock it down, count them in the class. It always sticks in my head. Mason was telling me, you got to get your mind off that. Um, so I, I, what do you make of this dynamic Mason? You're over here getting me to think like, like a youngin. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's, that's still the way I feel is that you're naming a glorified leader, but um, Nathan kind of hit the nail on the head there in that, by naming a leader, you have a greater chance to land the kid. Obviously, there's enough of a interest from the kid to put out a commitment or whatever, but they're still going to go see other places, and that's what Notre Dame is trying to prevent, it seems. So go go see all of your options before you want to make this big commitment to us and make it a whole thing if you need feel the need to decommit, whatever. Um, they're trying to keep kids from visiting other schools once they're already committed, and I just don't know how realistic that is. I really like the approach in theory. 
But yeah. then you see CJ Carr with the seven on seven team rocking Washington gear and gave me a heart attack over the weekend. I mean, that's and not it, he's not going anywhere to my to my best understanding. But still, why is he rocking Washington gear? I mean, that's what we're that's what we're here to prevent. Uh, man, it's just it. And the other problem is. The better the player, the harder it is to stick to your, if you commit here, you can't look because those are the guys that have more options. And it's just like, it's, it's very frustrating. This has all changed so much, not even in the last 15, 20, in the last three or four years, even everything's changed so much. It, it's just a wild new world. And here's the other thing. The Scott thing is a little personal to me because that's my area. That's where I went to school. We played St. Ignatius, the Chicago Catholic League. Like that's that's my old stomping grounds. And Lou Holtz, when I was a kid, used to be at those games. Him and his staff used to recruit. Dad would say, get in the car. We're going to the game. They're recruiting our guys. Like I want to reestablish that pipeline for the Catholic private league schools in that Chicago area. Lock that down for any of the guys we want. The other ones could go to Stanford, go to Northwestern, go to Purdue, do what you want to do. I would love to see a really healthy pipeline again on that toll road straight east from Chicago over. But if a guy like this says, this is my chance to go explore another way of life and get out of the Midwest and go not be cold, go for it. Like, like that's totally fine too. Um, So Mason, you had one more thing. I didn't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. Yeah, just my last thing is that something that we mentioned a lot on the Golden Homers is that, I mean, as frustrating as it is to see the Georgias, Alabamas, Ohio State, Clemsons of the world go after your guys, it's a good thing that they want them, right? Yeah. If, if they didn't want your players, that means they're no good. These schools are the best at producing talent. They bring in all the fours and five stars every single year. So if they want your guys, that's a good thing. As intimidating as it is to have the big boys coming after them, I mean, you have to be able to recruit with them too, whether that's on the NIL front or – win enough games to where you're in the national title discussion. And it doesn't matter. Guys want to come play for you. Yep. You, you can't end up in the middle. That's the struggle. Like elite winning often breeds elite recruiting and elite recruiting often breeds elite winning. If you're in the middle, that's a very rough place because you're waiting for one or the other to happen to get you to the next point. That's a very tricky spot. Uh, Nathan, you had one more thing on 24. Go ahead. Yeah, you were asking us sort of the some of the team needs. And one thing I wanted to emphasize, I mean, obviously, when Mason said the defensive line, I think that's honestly probably the biggest one, um, specifically getting some length and some beef, which I think is what they're really trying to do, especially so especially the length part, everybody down the uh, down the defensive line, it seems now is six, four, six, five plus that they're recruiting, which is awesome. Um, and this is going to sound a little bit like some people might not realize this is a need just because they're so good at this position in the past, but offensive tackle. Um, I think this class in 23 specifically, I mean, all four of those guys that they signed might end up interior um, players, including uh, Charles Jagasaw, who's the best guy, who's at least on 24-7 sports is the best player in the class. Um, he could end up at tackle, I think, specifically at Notre Dame, but I think at the next level, you know, at, at the NFL level, he's probably more of an a interior guy. Um, and then I think you still got to keep stacking the wide receiver position. I know that they're, they have a really good class coming in, at least we believe that. And, you know, you, you've, you've landed some transfers. You, you have some guys that are, you know, now juniors and, you know, sophomores that are, that are, that are going to be good players. But if you want to keep that depth and keep that talent, I think you need to follow up this recruiting class at wide receiver with another 
like not only talented class, but it's got to go four or five deep. So it, it can't be like two guys with like, you know, like how like how they had last class with Merriweather or someone like that. Um, you know, I don't want just two studs. I don't want it to be Cam Williams and Ryan Wingo, which would be great. Like both of those players are really talented, but I don't want just two of those guys. I want Cam Williams, Ryan Wingo, and then two or three more guys on top of that. So um, just to kind of add to that discussion, I think that that's two of those big needs for Notre Dame as well. Mason, anything to add to that? Well, no, but if they were to get Wingo and Cam Williams and CJ Carr, that's three five stars on offense. So, yeah, that's that's a good point.